Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Fair few spaces this morning, quite a few people away. Not that we're jealous at all. But uh, lovely to see those of you who are here. Who are here. If you're a visitor as well, lovely to have you with us. Um, and welcome to those of you on live stream as well. Well, in the mornings we've been going through uh, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, the second book in the Bible. And uh, so we're carrying on with that this morning. We're going to be in chapter 4. John's going to help uh, us understand that passage. And uh, the title this morning is, Lord, please send someone else. Lord, please send someone else. So looking forward to hearing what John's got to say about that. Well, we're going to start with singing. I, I don't know when uh, was the last time you used the word extol. Uh, maybe some of you have never used it in your life. Maybe some of you have no idea what it means. Well, apparently it means to praise enthusiastically is the official definition. To praise enthusiastically. Well, that's what we're going to do now. Well, this song certainly encourages us to do that. I'd encourage you to do that, to extol the name of Jesus as we sing this morning. So, Jesus is King and I will extol him. Give him the glory and honour his name. So, let's stand when the music starts and we'll sing together.
Well, before we uh, carry on with the service, I just wanted to let you know about the, the men's event that we have on Tuesday, the 7th of November. Um, so it's a curry night, as you can see. Um, it's uh, an invitation to friends, um, uh, so please invite people to come along. Um, we've got Paul Feezy coming to speak at that, um, and quite a few of us know him, and a couple of years ago or so, his uh, daughter was very, very ill in hospital. And so he's going to be sharing a bit of a personal testimony of how God helped him and what God taught him in that time, which I think could be really, really useful. So if you're a man, uh, invite some friends along or a friend along. Uh, you can book by either emailing me, as you can see on that, or just uh, WhatsApp me or speak to me today or whenever. Um, but I'd really encourage you to, to come along to that if you can and invite people. Um, praying it'll be a really good opportunity. Thank you. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us this morning as we worship him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you again. And Lord, we thank you that we get to speak to you as well. Lord, we thank you that yet, though you are uh, the God who made heaven and earth, yet still we can have a friendship with you through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would be in awe of that. Lord, I pray that you'd warm our hearts to praise you this morning. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of the privilege of what we can do as we come together to worship you. Lord, we thank you that in many ways we can worship you and pray to you every hour of the week. Lord, what a privilege that is. But Lord, we thank you especially for these times when we can join together in fellowship and worship you. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning, that you'd be with each one of us this morning. Lord, in all our different circumstances and situations, Lord, the different things that have been going on during the week, Lord, whatever's weighing heavily on our minds at the moment, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us. And I pray that for this time, Lord, that you'd help us to be able to stop and to be able to really reflect on you and think of you and listen to what you've got to say to us. Lord, I pray that you give ears to hear what you've got to say. Lord, fill our hearts with worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, we're in Exodus chapter 4 this morning, uh, so we're going to read that now. It'll be up on the screen as well. So Exodus chapter 4, reading from the start. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Uh, God's told him to go back and uh, speak in Egypt. Uh, For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you will take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and they had seen their reflection, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Well, as you might have noticed, there's uh, some interesting things in that passage and one or two tricky bits. So, uh, John, hopefully, we'll, with God's help, will help us understand what's going on in that chapter. Just say to the children, we don't have a children's talk this morning because so many people are away, but we do have a short video afterwards. So, I'll explain a bit more of that after this next song. Well, like uh, Moses, we feel the need for God to help us at times, don't we? And uh, I'm sure many of you have experienced that feeling of weakness as well when you feel like you really need God's help. Well, this song points us to to what to do in those times. We rest on thee. Uh, So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
Well, on uh, Thursday night at our prayer meeting, we had a couple of people come and join us uh, from a small organisation in Leeds called Caring for Life. Some of you uh, may have heard of it. Um, They shared with us how they share the practical uh, love and care of Jesus to some of the most deprived and some of the most unloved people in that city. And uh, they showed us a short video. And uh, so quite a few of us have have seen it because we were there on Thursday. Uh, But we wanted to show it again because we recognised that a few of you uh, didn't see that. Um, And it just shows what they do and the impact they're having. Um, I think those of us who were there found it a profoundly moving evening. It was very powerful. Um, So do watch it. And uh, it is our charity of the month as well. So if you want to give to them, you do have the opportunity uh, to do that. So hopefully the tech works. And uh, let's watch this video of Caring for Life. In 1987, Caring for Life set out with two very distinct purposes. The first was an action to practically meet the needs of adults who had experienced homelessness, abuse, neglect or may have been completely isolated and were struggling to survive. The second reason Caring for Life came into existence was to simply introduce people to a peace and a love that can only be truly experienced by knowing and loving Jesus and to help people find Him as their personal friend and saviour. This short film is just a glimpse into the heart of a few amazing people we have had the privilege of being able to help on that journey. And we pray you will be encouraged as you hear how our Heavenly Father has enabled them to be transformed into one of His children and how they now have a peace and a hope that only Jesus can give. Being around Christians made me, made me feel happy. Made me feel I was part of a family. And then now, now I, I do feel like I'm part of a family now. the Bible studies and I want to know a bit more about Jesus Christ. He was was born to, he died for us so we get a better life, going to a better world where there ain't no pain. When I found Jesus, he was standing over me. I was down and out and living on the street. There were times I could have died 
But the Lord was by my side Last night after Bible study, I suddenly felt like God had gone and it was all not real. And but I asked God to show me He's there. God showed me that He's here and He heard and hears everyone in my dear God prayers. I love God and now I know He's listening and taking care of us. I'm going to keep praying. God loves us no matter what. He gave me peace from my trouble. I think things have sort of changed, I don't know. It's not like an outward change, like you put a little top of the on or all like that. Sort of inside or something. When I found Jesus, he was walking next to me. On the lonely path of my man destiny. He must have looked into my eyes. Saw the tears and heard my cry. Where I stood, I was saved by the. I think it's, it's giving so much to an answer, so much to belief and purpose in life. Uh, mm. Knowing that there's a God out there, Jesus is Son, uh, and that <clears throat> whatever I've done in my past, whatever I do, He'll forgive me, hopefully, for anything I've done wrong in my life, or mm. if I've been. Showing uh, malice to anybody else for forgiveness, and he'll forgive me for that. But I try not to. Yeah. I just try and be the best person I can be. Yeah. And I know that Jesus is there for me, and he helps me do that. I just want to become to to know God more and go to Bible studies and listen to him more and um, just to love him as yeah. he loved me. Yeah. And, you know, as I as I've grown up, he's a matter I was kind of like saddened by what went on with Jesus. But caring for life has taught me is it was done for a reason, and it was His reason. It was God's reason, and is, that's what makes it. It is. It, 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 it was taking a whip. It was. It, 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 it was telling us not to feel guilty, is but embrace, and is you're embracing death, is but is you're embracing a new life as well. We thank the Lord for all these precious souls, souls who are now his children. We hope that you can see beyond the stuttering and the stammering and hear their hearts speak about their love for Jesus. So it's a special work that they do um, and as I say, uh, it's the charity of the month, so we do have the opportunity to uh, support them financially, um, but we can also pray for them. So we're going to do that now, as well as praying for other things. So let's pray. Lord, we want to start off by praising you this morning. Lord, as we've been encouraged in that first song, 
Lord, we should extol you, Lord, to praise you enthusiastically. And Lord, often we're not as good at that as we should be. Lord, I pray that you would warm up our hearts to praise you. Lord, that we would have that real spirit of praise this morning and during the week. Lord, because you are well worthy of it. Lord, I pray that even when we're not feeling it, Lord, I pray that our attitude would be one of praise, one of wonder and awe. Lord, you made all things, you sustain all things, and yet, Lord, you came down to be one of us and to die for us. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to praise you because you are worth praising for all eternity. Lord, I pray in our lives, Lord, that we would decrease and that you would increase. And Lord, we thank you that we can bring caring for life before you this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for them. Lord, we thank you for the value that they put on people. Lord, the sort of people that others look at and think they have no value, that they don't take a second look at, they certainly don't care for them. Uh, People that others just abuse. Lord, we thank you that those that care for life love them like Jesus, self-sacrificially. And Lord, we know that that serving them in that way and loving them in that way is not always enjoyable. It's certainly not always easy. It's quite often frustrating. It's quite often very stressful. And yet, Lord, we thank you that they continue loving. They persevere in their loving and uh, the way they support them. And they are a friend like Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is someone who was known as being a friend of sinners, a friend of the outcasts, a friend of the lonely, a friend of the abused. And so Lord, we do richly pray, uh, or we pray richly for those that care for life, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Lord, that you would fill them so much with your love as they pour out so much to others that they would be overflowing and that others would very clearly see that, that this love is unnatural and that it can only come from Jesus, as they said in the video. Lord, I thank you that the people they care for, Lord, their lives are not only being changed as they are being cared for, but their whole lives, their whole attitudes, everything about them is being transformed to be more like Jesus. And I thank you for that, that that is the work you do, you transform us. And I thank you as well that one day, Lord, the Christian hope is that they will be completely transformed, Lord, that they will have new bodies. And Lord, we thank you that one day there will be a day when they will no longer have the physical scars or the trauma memories of abuse and suffering that so many of them have gone through. Lord, what a hope that is. And Lord, I I pray that that will be something that is exciting for them And I pray that it's something that will be exciting for us too, if we're Christians, that we have that same hope. Lord, as we heard on Thursday, some of us, they have so many needs up there, they are so deprived, so poor, some of them. Some of them don't even know where the next meal is going to come from. And in in many ways, we are so rich down here. In East Sussex, we live in such an affluent area. We have so much, many of us, Lord, I do pray for those who are needy in the area. Pray for them. Help us to look out for them, to care for them. But Lord, especially spiritually, Lord, we are so poor. Lord, in many ways, we are just the same as the most deprived in Leeds. Lord, we are so 
spiritually poor, so lacking in peace and hope in this town, in this area. So few people know you. And Lord, we need you so much. Lord, you are our greatest need. We are so poor without you. We are so needy without you. And so Lord, I pray that you would pour your spiritual blessings into this town and into this county. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who know you to pour out that love, to pour out your message to others. Lord, may we uh, do that intentionally so that others know the riches of your grace and your mercy and your transforming power. Lord, that they too can know freedom from sin and the grip and the curse of sin. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would work in this town, work in this county, I pray. Lord, I bring before you Muriel as well. Lord, in her weakness, in her confusion. Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing that she's been to so many of us over the years. Lord, many of us remember her so fondly for the walk she used to take us on every Sunday. And Lord, for the blessing that she's been to others. Lord, I pray that you'd be with her in her illness as she's in hospital. Lord, do be with her. Lord, in her confusion, Lord, I pray that you'd give her a settled peace of knowing you, that she would be clear in that. Lord, thank you that you are the God who can do that. Lord, as well, I particularly bring before you Stella at this time, Lord, as she faces chemotherapy. Lord, I pray that you would pour down your blessings on her and the family and be with her in a very, very special way at this incredibly tough time. Lord, do bless them. Do help her. Give her the strength she needs. May you be a real blessing to that family in this time. And Lord, may we as a church family be a real help and support to them. Lord, thank you that you give us each other to support each other as family and I pray that we would do that. Lord, I pray as well for John and Esther, Lord, as they go away on holiday this week. I pray that it would be a really mentally, physically uh, refreshing time. And Lord, that it would do them real spiritual good. That they would come back refreshed and ready to serve us again. And Lord, we do bring before you the many others as well who have gone away. Lord, we uh, pray that they would have a good time, that it would do them good too. Lord, that they would come back refreshed, ready to serve and live life again uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, there are so many other things to pray for. Um, Lord, we particularly remember your word as it goes out in all all different places, whether that be prisons, whether that be uh, care homes, whether that be different churches. Lord, even today as it's going out in all those places, Lord, I pray that you would help those who speak and that your word would go out with power, that it would have a transformative effect. And Lord, I pray that as those people speak, Lord, that they would have real confidence that it is not just them speaking, but it is you speaking through them. So Lord, do use them as your servants, I pray, for great things for your name. And Lord, I just pray again that you'd be with us this morning. Lord, do be with John as he speaks to us uh, very soon. Give him the words to say. Give him clarity. And Lord, I pray that we would listen. Lord, that we'd really listen. Listen with ears that want to hear and with hearts that um, are ready to be changed by what you say. So Lord, do you help us be with us this morning. Give us a sense of your presence with us, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, sing again before John comes and speaks to us. And uh, I'm just going to read the chorus. This is our God, the servant king, 
he calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So we carry on then in this book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, we're in chapter 4, which is on page 47, if you've got a, a church Bible. Uh, perhaps we know what it is to feel daunted. You know what it is to feel daunted? 
about the way forward, um, responsibilities, things you'd rather avoid. Uh, perhaps it's your perhaps it's your daily pattern to feel like that. Maybe you've heard of the the morning conversation in the home. It goes something like this: I don't want to I don't want to go to school. Every day is so difficult. No one likes me. Do I have to go? To which the answer comes, Honey, of course you do. Who else will teach the kids? (laughs) And maybe it's like that, whether you're a student going to school or a member of staff at school or in your every other day responsibilities you feel that sense of being really daunted by every day. But perhaps there are also more specific things which are on your mind and daunting you. Maybe it is that you know you need to turn to Jesus for the first time and begin to follow him and it's very frightening. Maybe you're now a Christian believer and you want to be open about that to family and friends. And uh, it's just so scary. Perhaps you're considering baptism as part of the root of that. Perhaps a new responsibility is heading your way, and uh, you sense it is the right thing, but um, everything within you just shouts, not me! Uh, maybe something's coming to a head and you know you need to address it and it will involve difficulties and a difficult conversation and it's very hard to see it going smoothly. Thinking about this took me back to um, one of the most difficult conversations I had. Uh, Somebody had written something and it uh, needed talking through with them. Uh, They were an influential figure And I remember now driving there with that sense of weightiness of the implications of the conversation I was just about to have. I knew they would never forget this conversation and I've never forgotten that conversation but it just had to happen. It was something that I needed to go through. We have specific things, don't we, which daunt us in going forward. While Moses was living what seems a comparatively peaceful life in the Midian wilderness, uh, he'd had one go at trying to uh, deliver his Hebrew brothers in Egypt and it really didn't work and perhaps he still felt the soreness of that failed attempt. But then God amazingly appeared to Moses in the burning bush event that we saw last week and there was this full revelation of God and his greatness. And as part of that, Moses had been told that he needed to return to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and to set God's people free. And whilst he might have been very keen on their deliverance, he wasn't very keen on being part of it himself especially an upfront leading part. Well, we started to look into that a little bit last time and we're looking into it more fully today. 
We're going to be seeing three things about Moses in uh, this chapter. We're going to spend by far the most time on the first and the second and third are much briefer at the end. And as we go through, I'm hoping to apply it so that we see some lessons for ourselves in going forward. Uh, But uh, also, I think we'll see uh, a wonderful contrast to Moses as we consider another Bible saviour. So we start first with uh, reluctance. Reluctance. That one isn't on. I don't know if that can easily be put on, but reluctance. So God, God made clear his plans for Moses in chapter 3 and verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, out of Egypt. Moses was to lead them out of Egypt and he wasn't keen on the idea. And in chapters 3 and 4 we have five responses of Moses to being told to lead the people out of Egypt. Their responses, their objections, their, their protests, their Questions, maybe you could call them doubts. They're things that influence his mind. The first two we saw briefly last week. We'll just recap those and then move on. The first response was, Who am I? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He felt inadequate. He felt that others were more suited than him to do the job of leading the people out of Egypt. And many of us have felt, haven't we, what you might call a cold shudder of inadequacy at what God has put before us to do. I certainly have. But God tells him that he will be with him. And perhaps that should have been enough to settle it finish with objection one, move on. The great encouragement of God going with people and responsibility should be a big encouragement to us. Should be enough to us. But it doesn't prove that to Moses. And we have the second objection, which is, what shall I say about you? What shall I say about you? Verse 13, then Moses said, Chapter 3, to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? They're going to ask me questions, and I won't know what to answer. Uh, What if they ask me about who you are? And in the answer that God gives, we saw yesterday, he reveals his character wonderfully. We saw last week, rather, he reveals his character wonderfully to Moses. He is the I am who I am. In shorthand, he is Yahweh, the Lord. And for us, a sense of God's greatness should be an immense help in us going forward with God's plan, with our service. But then we come to our current chapter, we're in chapter 4 today, and we have a third objection from Moses. They won't believe. 
People's reactions often feature big in our minds, don't we? That, perhaps the things I went through earlier, the different possibilities of what's daunted us, it's often people's reaction that is in our minds. And especially if we're passing on the truth, we wonder how people would respond. And that's how it is for Moses, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And God in his kindness gives Moses three signs. Three signs to demonstrate to the people. The first sends Moses running. He's to throw his shepherd's staff down and it becomes a snake. God told him not to run away but to pick up the snake, not by the neck. If you're going to pick up a snake, I don't recommend it, but apparently if you do, the best place to do it is just behind the head. But Moses is asked to pick it up by the tail. And he does what God says, and he picks up the snake by the tail, and it becomes his staff again. And he's had this miraculous sign which God has given him. The second sign reminds me of a children's talk that I heard a preacher say that he'd given many years ago. He was obviously wearing a jacket when he told it and he put his hand inside his pocket for the children and presumably got some sort of pocket full of talcum powder in there and he put it in and brought it out in front of the children and he got a white hand. And Moses puts his hand inside and God says that something special will happen and Moses' somewhat tanned hand, I expect, from the wilderness comes out white, leprous white, perhaps shriveled, unhealthy, with a skin disease. I don't quite remember what the children's talk involved in terms of getting it non-white, whether he had some sort of water inside. It sounds all very messy to me. I don't know what else happened. But in Moses' case, he was told to put his hand back inside his pocket and it came out healed. And this was another sign that God gave to him to encourage him as he went forward. And if the first two signs didn't do the job, well, there was a third to bring water from the Nile, to pour it on the ground, and it would turn to blood. Something that would happen in a bigger way in a confrontation with Pharaoh later on. So there were these three signs that God gave. They were signs especially relevant to Egypt. The the snake was a sign on the Pharaoh's headdress, The Nile was seen as the life-giving God of the nation and Moses was given these signs to to encourage him but also to know that the the people he spoke to, the leaders, would believe. That was the aim. Verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of Abraham, their fathers, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, we're not given miraculous powers and signs in the same way to show people, but we can point to the signs that Jesus did. The chief of which is the resurrection. 
But there are many others too and John says this towards the end of his Gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And those signs that Jesus did, recorded in the Gospels, culminating in his resurrection, gives us confidence to believe in him and gives us confidence in telling others. So hopefully as we're going through these answers to Moses, they they are of help to us personally. Well, there's not enough for Moses, so he changes tactic and we have a fourth objection. I'm such a bad speaker. I'm such a bad speaker. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Poor Moses, he, he knew that others had got the gift of the gab, if you like, that the, the, the words just seem to roll off their tongue, they seem to know how to give smart answers when they're confronted with difficult situations, and he just feels, well, I'm not like that, I feel a dum-dum, I, I can't speak, I'm not clever. I'm not good in those sort of one-to-one situations that you might put me in. And God's answer uh, to Moses, another thing that was a big help to me, at one point when I had to uh, speak or make a statement, which I knew was very difficult and sensitive, and perhaps it will help you as well to, to, to settle in the way in which God has made you, God is with clumsy speakers in what he's tasked them to do, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Encouraging, isn't it? You think God's been very patient with Moses, don't you? That's four. Four times he's come back and God has given kind, reassuring responses. But then finally we get to the root problem, really. comes out in protest number five. Please said, send someone else. The title we've got of this morning comes from verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. He's reluctant to do what God has said. And his reluctance is becoming disobedience. He wants someone else to bear the brunt of serving rather than him. Someone, anyone, not me. 
Well, God is not impressed with this reluctance which is really got the flavour of disobedience. Verse 14, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But nevertheless, in God's wonderful kindness, he still plans to give help to Moses. And already on the way is a co-worker, a partner, Moses' brother, older brother, Aaron, who is more able in speaking, is on his way to assist Moses in his task. So God um, is not impressed. God is angry, it says, with Moses' reaction, but God is still wonderfully accommodating. So we have Moses' reluctance. Moses' reluctance. And we can take this some different ways. Let's first think, are we reluctant to do what God has said we should do? Are we full of excuses, doubts, protests? Maybe in in following Jesus at the outset, repenting and turning to him. Maybe in being open about our faith. Maybe in taking on a, a task or responsibility that we're being called to do. Although it's different for us, and Moses had a very clear burning bush experience. He knew, black and white, that he got to go back to Egypt. Many of the times when we're wondering what God's will for us is, we're thinking it through, we're praying it through, we're talking with others, we're assessing the situation, we're seeing what seems to be wise. But maybe we, we are clear what the Lord wants us to do, but we're reluctant. Or maybe in handling a difficulty that we know needs to be addressed. Is the root problem, number five really, a lack of willingness? Somebody else. Moses is going to be used. God wonderfully uses reluctant people. He did Gideon. We heard about that recently. He does use weak people. The Apostle Paul talks about being made strong in weakness in service. God, in his plan, uses reluctant people like Moses. But he is a a reluctant saviour. And in contrast, I think of of the great saviour. Don't you? Jesus, under the, the crushing prospect of dying for others says not my will but yours be done in the book of Hebrews a, a word, words from a psalm are used to express his attitude to come to this world to die for others chapter 10 verse 7 then I said behold I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Come willingness, willingly to do God's will. I think it's amazing. We, we, we don't have a reluctant saviour 
in Jesus. We have a willing Saviour in Jesus. So this thought of Moses' reluctance, a reluctant Saviour, makes us think about our reluctance, makes us think about God using people despite their reluctance, but it especially, I think, points us to Jesus who wasn't reluctant. And for us, like we sang in the third song, to be willing to serve him and others. Well, uh, Moses then is rather sluggishly on board with the plan. He breaks the news to his father-in-law. We have a responsibility to tell others about uh, things that we're going to be involved with and how it affects them. Uh, God gives him fresh encouragement in the chapter. You can read about that. And in doing so, he talks about Israel being his, his firstborn, his firstborn son, precious sort of terms that God uses to describe Israel, which might link in with what we come on to later on. And then he starts to head back to Egypt. And we come more briefly to our second point, which is negligence. This is verses 24 to 26. Negligence. On the way back, we get um, something which is uh, rather gruesome and, and graphic and probably shocks us and makes us want to wince if we're following it through as it was read. There's a, a danger of somebody being put to death by the Lord. It's possibly Moses, or it could be Gershom, his firstborn. Uh, one of them seems to be seriously ill, and it seems as though the Lord, it's clear that the Lord is behind it. And it's Moses' wife who, who does the gory thing to deal with the situation, which does solve the problem. And if we read about it in verses 24 to 26, we thought, what on earth is happening here? What on earth is going on here? And I can't tell you with certainty every detail about what's happening, but, but the general problem is this. Moses has not circumcised his, his own son. That's the general problem. That was a sign of the covenant to Abraham. Uh, all Jews should have followed on in being circumcised. And uh, Genesis 17 makes that clear. And somehow Moses had neglected to do this with his son. And it was a serious business in those days. It doesn't apply to today, but it was a serious business in those days. It meant you were really being seen as outside God's covenant, outside of God's promise, you were, you were in the place of death rather than life. And yet Moses, the parent, the prospective leader of God's people, hadn't sorted this out for his own son. And Zipporah takes quick action involving a flint knife and lots of blood and saves the day. And the blood seems significant in the way she talks to Moses and the way she calls him. 
Well, if, if it is the firstborn, if it is Gershom, then the firstborn being spared by blood is, is a pattern that will come up a bit later in Exodus. So maybe that's behind this. That's why some people think it's Gershom rather than Moses, who is so unwell. But as far as Moses is concerned, what is clear is that he was being negligent. I think, don't you think it's quite ironic, in a way, that uh, Moses, who's seen as sort of later on as representing the law for Jews, hadn't done what became one of the major observances as part of the law in the way it was seen himself. He hadn't circumcised his son. Um, but we might not sort of throw too many stones at, at Moses. The sins of omission, what we haven't done, are part of our lives, aren't they? As much as the sins of commission, what we have done. We haven't been what we should, we haven't done what we should have done. Um, maybe some of the things we've been thinking about already are true. We haven't been open about faith in Jesus in different situations. Maybe we haven't taken on responsibility that we know we should have done. We've ducked and dived from things that we should have tackled. Maybe we feel we've been negligent in the era of parenting, as Moses was. And perhaps as we're embarking on a new area of service, if we are, it is a time to put some of these things in order, our own house in order, as Moses was, as he was being led back to Egypt to be the deliverer. But again, as I think of Moses in his reluctance and negligence, I think he's unlike Jesus. He's unlike Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we have the great Saviour who Moses points to, who has kept the law in every part, who has done everything. And that as we think back to our omissions and our negligence, that we remember that our confidence is not in what we have done and our perfection, but what he has done and his perfection. He was tempted in all parts, yet without sin. He became the sacrifice without blemish. 1 Peter reminds us that we are deemed, redeemed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus, the firstborn, as he's described in Colossians 1, made reconciliation for us through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we find that our negligence 
is something that points us to the perfection of Christ in which we rest, the perfect Saviour. So we have that strange event and we have Moses' older brother Aaron joining him on the way to Egypt and then we think, well, how will they fare? How are they going to get on? Will all of Moses' fears and doubts and protests prove true? And we come then in finishing to our last point which is acceptance acceptance so there are hard times ahead for Moses and co and uh, Mark's taking next week carrying on and your your guest will hear about some of the setbacks on that occasion but the arrival here as they come at the end of chapter 4 is a good one as God had promised they, they gather together the Israelite leaders I expect to Moses don't you, you that it felt quite a, a crunch meeting Uh, He gave them the lowdown of what God had said and the signs, verse 29, you see that. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the reaction? Verse 31. And the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshipped. There was acceptance. They believed sufficiently to run with Moses as their leader to go forward with the plan. And I imagine that although pretty daunted still, uh, Moses gave a sigh of relief that night as he went to bed. The people were on board, had accepted him and were believing. Just a closing lesson on that. Our fears are often greater than the reality Winston Churchill said, When I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. We're sometimes held back by fears, aren't we? Fears which won't actually materialise. Maybe as we go back to the things at the start of following Jesus, being open about Jesus, taking on responsibility, taking on the difficult uh, issue that needs tackling. Fear is holding us back. Well, the fears, in fact, may amount to little in practice. And even if they do amount to quite a bit. We have the Lord with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, I'm not sure I've really caught you this morning with uh, Exodus 4 as I'd like, 
But you see in it the reluctance of uh, Moses. Makes us think about us. God using him, despite his difficulties, pointing us to the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was so willing and so perfect. So may God make uh, uh, thinking through Exodus 4 helpful to us. And we sing our last song together, which is an expression of wanting to be willing and used by God in his service. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone as thou hast sought, so let me seek thy erring children lost and lone.
Lord, we thank you for the great Saviour, for the willingness of Jesus, for his perfection. And Lord, we pray that we might be servants used by you, useful in the lives of others. We have our many inadequacies. We have many things that we haven't done that we should have done. Yet we pray, Lord, that you would help us in going forward to seek out your will and to be obedient to your call. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.